This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog. With me today is Jacob Toman, who is going to be part of our quote-unquote interview series, which is kind of a vaguely loose association for various podcasts. Anyway, Jacob Toman is a gaming missionary, and if you don't know what that is, then you're going to find out. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be here with you today, Zach. This is an awesome privilege and an awesome thing to do to be able to come together and spend some time chatting about the gospel and uh, gaming together. So I'm excited and looking forward to it. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. So tell us about yourself. Well, so um, things started uh, for me early. Everything starts in the beginning, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so my early life, I grew up in a Christian household um, with parents who are believers and um Met my wife actually online, as many of us do. Um, a number of the big dating websites like the site that one in eight marriages nowadays start online. Uh, my wife and I, we met online back before that was a cool thing to do. We were uh, we were pen pals. Um, we lived about an hour and a half away from each other. We used to use AOL Instant Messenger, and um, we didn't have texting back then. Uh, so we actually had to pick up a phone and call each other uh, when we could sneak away to do so. Um, but we were we never met face to face for four years, so just four years of online relationship, talking to one another, um, and then we both moved away to the same college. She moved away to go to Central Michigan University, and um, I followed her to go there. I wonder why. And uh, it was a great time for us to go there. Um, we met. That was the first time that we met was in college, face to face, and uh, solidified our relationship. Got married after we uh, graduated. And uh, worked for about a year and a half with a local church plant in Lansing, Michigan, and um, as a pastoral intern there, felt a call to pastoral ministry, obviously, and we were testing those gifts there in that pastoral internship at that church, and uh, then moved to St. Louis, Missouri, where we went to um, pursue a Master's of Divinity at Covenant Theological Seminary, and I've recently finished that up, and over the last year, um, with some help of some great folks, um, Dr. Mark Pitsey. Um, Reverend Mark Ryan, Dr. Tasha Chapman, and Reverend Mark Tucker. We've started a ministry um, to gamers. And so over the last nine months now, we've been reaching out to gaming culture um, and to gamers and to the church and trying to figure out what does it look like for Christians to engage the reality of gaming culture today worldwide? And what would it look like for Christians to build a bridge between the church and the unreached in gaming culture? So that's a little bit about me. Um, and where we're from and kind of where we're at. Okay, so you are passionate about this ministry, obviously. So where did this idea emerge from? What were your initial thoughts yeah, so, on this? Because I think all of us in this theology and video games intersection kind of had this eureka moment at one point or another, and we were like, well, maybe we should be doing something about it. <laughs> yeah, so my eureka moment actually came as an assignment from a professor. So one of the one of the unique things about myself as somebody that's called into this, um, that's humbly submitted to the church and to um, God's call in this um, as a as a chaplain, as a missionary, and as a pastor, is that um, I am a gamer, but I'm not a gamer. And uh, you'll you can debate that. There are people right now that are probably somewhere debating whether or not I am a gamer or not, <laughs> whether I fit into to a demographic. So um, the way how I put it to folks now is that I'm not a hardcore gamer. So I've loved games my entire life. I've always made board games, always made card games, always played them. Um, Lord of the Rings card game, 
um, was a fantastic collectible trading card game. I'm so depressed whenever I go into a board game shop and, and they don't sell it. The cycle's out of business now. And it's a very sad day because I've got, you know, a shoebox full of Lord of the Rings cards that I, I only can play with a handful of people around the, around the world. Um, but my passion um, for gaming came out um, really throughout my time here in seminary. And uh, in a rigorous academic environment, it is not wise to disclose that you are a gamer. <laughs> Gamers are stereotyped left and right as being lax, uh, you know, lax, lazy, uh, and losers. And so whichever one of those three you fit into, whether you're lax or you're lazy or you're a loser, um, people will associate all three with you if you come out kind of come out of the closet as a gamer, as it were. If we can use that. <laughs> we so can use that. As uh, my own coming out experience was actually in the spring of this year, uh, where I kind of came out of the closet to my seminary community and to the friends there. And I said, look, I'm a gamer. This is who I am. Uh, this is a part of who I am. This is how I enjoy God's creation is through enjoying the imagination that other people can project on a screen or on a board. And I enjoy meeting people through that. So there was an assignment that uh, Dr. Robert Yarborough here at Covenant Seminary assigned that um, the assignment description is to write um, what uh, a theology of what Paul would say about a particular industry or um, thing that we're involved in. And so I wrote a little three page piece on what the Apostle Paul would have to say or why he would be interested in gaming as, um, as a field. And uh, I was, I, I got to confess to you, Zach, I'm a terrible student. I get terrible grades left and right. I, there is no way anybody will ever accept me to do any future study. I'm just <laughs> terrible. We used to say at Central Michigan, C's get degrees, but I can inform you that D's will get them for you as well. So the uh, the grading scale has been kind to me and God is merciful to me that I have any sort of degree whatsoever. But this particular paper got the highest grade for me uh, that I'd ever had in seminary. And it was from one of the most world renowned, most difficult professors at this particular seminary. So I was very pleased um, that I had written something new, something that no one had ever written on here, at least, and something that folks were not yet thinking about here in this particular um, realm of Christianity in the social circle, which is one of the reasons why I'm so encouraged and so delighted and so thankful whenever I get to come and, and talk with folks like you. And I'm so glad to be here today. So that assignment really kind of kickstarted everything where um, I had to ask questions of the Bible concerning what Paul would have to say about the video game industry and what Paul would do if Paul was around today and had the internet at his disposal. So we started doing um, research on that paper in the spring and that turned into eventually an independent study with Dr. Tasha Chapman over the summer. Um, and things have been going fantastic ever since. So our, uh, our, our bridge ministries, the two ministries are gospel and gaming.org and ggaming3.com. And those two ministries started at different times, uh, G3 or good guy gaming. Um, that started back in February and that was really saying, okay, what does it look like for a Christian to go, and um, enter and make an esports organization, uh, not a Christian gaming clan. Ooh, okay. So let me stop you right there. We're not a Christian gaming clan. Um, but what does it look like for gamers to represent positive play and positive ideals in gaming? Um, again, not as Christians, but just because we're gamers and we care about who we are and we're sick of being stereotyped. So that's what Good Guy Gaming is all about. And then our missions organization, Gospel and Gaming, that started right around May. Um, where we said, okay, what would it really look like for us to intentionally enter this as a mission field? 180 million people here in the United States are classified as gamers, and um, that's the same number and that's the same size as the sixth largest country in the world, which is Pakistan. And so um, if we can send international missionaries to Japan, to Russia, 
to Afghanistan and to Pakistan, what would it look like for us to send missionaries into the internet and into gaming culture and to reach people that are lost and that have not heard about Christ or that have heard about Christ but have been burned by the church? And so that's what we've been doing ever since is trying to wrestle with these questions and really reach people where they're at. Huh. Online missionary work. I hadn't thought of it that way. I play World of Warcraft myself, and I try to be a nice person. <laughs> I guess that's part of it. <laughs> that's great. Because yeah, that's the WoW community great. is very, um, how do you say, angry at people who don't play the game correctly. So Would you, you, would you classify WoW as being a, a game where there's a, a lot of toxicity in the community? There is definitely a lot of toxicity in the community. Ever since they started doing Looking for a Raid, which is basically being able to queue up with 25 other strangers... I have found that people are unbelievably angry <laughs> at you for impeding their progress or keeping them in something too long. And you have to shut those people down. <laughs> it's just yeah. one of those things. You can't just, you know, sit passively because one bad guy can really influence a whole group. And so you just kind of yeah. have to say, well, some of these people don't know what they're doing and that's okay. <laughs> it's part of having fun with a video game is that, you know, you're, you learn about things and you learn how to do the game and you can't just expect everyone to be skilled at it immediately. Is that sort of the thing we're looking at here? <laughs> oh, absolutely. So League of Legends has notoriously, um, it is notoriously now um, the world's number one played game. It's got over 70 million um, unique users that come in and log in and over 30 million that log in each month. Um, it's huge and it's growing. They recently sold out the Staples Center, which is where the Los Angeles Lakers and Los Angeles Clippers and Los Angeles Kings uh, play basketball and hockey. They recently sold that out in under three hours um, for their world championship event. And um, at which the, uh, the grand prize of which for two teams that were competing was $1 million as the grand prize for world champion for the season three um, League of Legends world championships. And it is absolutely amazing to look around um, the community and to see when you've got such a large community, toxicity, of course, is going to be an issue. Um, and so it certainly is an issue in, in League of Legends. And when you've got rankings and you've got points and you've got competition and things are on the line and people want to progress and advance and do well, just like what you described in World of Warcraft, um, the same thing happens. Uh, one bad apple can ruin a whole crop. And so um, what, what Good Guy Gaming is all about is getting folks to come in and um, getting folks to be able to play in the G3 way and um, playing together really for the sake of playing in a positive environment. That um, that doesn't mean that we're not ragers. So G3 <laughs> itself started one night after I was raging in solo queue, um, playing on my own. And uh, and I just got so angry and so frustrated. And, I, and I'm a part of the problem. Um, part of what we're trying to do is, is really encourage people. And this is where the gospel comes in, right? Is to say, look, other people are not the problem. I am. I am the problem. And um, so that night I got super angry and I just, I said to my wife, if everybody could just hear what I'm thinking, <laughs> we could win this game. And I got super upset about it and I'm absolutely a part of the problem and I'm looking, um, looking to become a part of the solution. And so she challenged me. Uh, she didn't realize that she was quoting Gandhi back to me, but uh, she said, um, you know, go be part of the solution. If you see a problem, they'll be part of the solution. And I never thought that perhaps um, perhaps I was a part of the problem. And both being a part of the problem, I could also be a part of the solution. And so from that night on, we uh, we started. I started recruiting for my own team. 
in League of Legends. And originally it started out, like I said, in February, just as me looking for a, a group of a, a couple other players to play with that were dedicated to a couple of things. And it grew out of that into an organization that has now played with over 600 players since our inception. We've got five ranked teams right now, and we're hosting a tournament this week um, for players that are in silver and bronze division of League of Legends. Um, and you're allowed to have a couple other players that are in higher divisions than that on your team, but uh, mostly bronze and silver players that are playing. And I'm so pleased because we've had so many guys that have come through the G3 organization uh, that in the spring, everyone was complaining uh, that um, we needed to d divide up our tournaments because we run about one tournament a month. And they said, we need to divide up our tournaments because the top level talent that was coming in to play in our tournaments that were in gold and uh, platinum and diamond ranking, they were just stomping on our poor G3 guys that were all in bronze and silver. And so we said, all right, all right, in the fall, we'll do this. We'll, we'll break up the tournaments and we'll break it up into two tiers. We'll have a bronze and silver division and then we'll have a gold, diamond and platinum division. And I'm so happy uh, that God has blessed us so much with so many players and so much publicity because now uh, starting last night with this week's tournament, we actually didn't have any teams that qualified for the lower tier tournament because everyone has improved beyond the requirements for that. So we're now actually overqualified to even play in the tournaments that we're hosting. Um, so I am, I'm so thankful that God has blessed us and that so many people um, in G3 have worked so dang hard um, to get to where they want to go, to set goals for themselves, to be disciplined about it, uh, to accept criticism, to accept coaching, and then to really work on the deficiencies um, in their various areas. I'm so excited for for where we're at and for everything that's going on. Wow, that works a lot better than yelling at the top of your lungs. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I tend to yell at the screen at myself. So, <laughs> Well, if the screen could hear you, I'm sure the screen would be a much better player. Yes, by now. he would be a much better player or she. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your ministry isn't just limited to the internet and YouTube and that sort of thing. You also go to churches to try to, so to speak, spread the word on the gaming missionary culture. So... How exactly do you want to influence the physical church to get more involved in this kind of ministry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, fantastic question. So one of the core principles that we've got uh, is face-to-face. -face. That's both for good guy gaming, but then also for us at Gospel and Gaming. And um, the Internet is a fantastic place. It's where, it's where I was able to make a relationship and build a relationship with my wife that eventually turned into a wonderful face-to-face -face marriage. We're married. And, you know, she lives with me. We don't live in two separate distinct places. We don't have Skype calls every night. We live in the same house. We have a wonderful two-year-old, and God has blessed us there. And using the Internet is a great way to get to know people. But transitioning from the Internet to a face-to-face -face reality is a fantastic thing to do. And we always encourage folks to be able to do that when they can. And so for us, that means that we always want to be pushing and moving towards face-to-face. -to -face. So the Internet is a great way for us to get to know folks. But if you can meet somebody face-to-face -face that you've already met online on the Internet, that's always a great thing. It's a bonus. And so uh, during our last Midwest trip, we actually got to meet um, four different players that were um, players for us at Good Guy Gaming uh, and meet with them and just hang out. And we had meals together. We had coffee together. And we just hang out and talk games. Um, there's no pushy um, agenda. There's no, hey, I need a response right now. Where are you going tonight if you die? Um, none of that. We just meet and we hang out. And as we meet and hang out and take our relationship face to face, the Lord chooses to bless um, those relationships incredibly well. One of the things that we've gotten to do um, was we actually have one of our, our gentlemen who's a service officer based down in Florida. Uh, his cousin passed away. 
and he's actually from St. Louis originally. And so uh, he made two phone calls, two phone calls when his um, when his cousin passed away. The first one was to his uh, base officer to say, officer, I'm going to need time off because uh, I just heard that my cousin's passed away. The second phone call. Now, mind you, this is from an unbeliever, an unbeliever that doesn't know Christ and that wants nothing to do with the church. The second phone call was to me. Hmm. He called me up. He was clearly choked up, clearly emotional. I asked him if we could pray for him. He said, absolutely. I asked him if there was anything that we could do. He said, well, he was coming home for the visitation and for the funeral. Uh, he would appreciate our prayers and whatever support we could give him. So I asked him if it was, a, if it was all right with him if I came out to either the funeral or the viewing. And he gave me a call back and let me know, yep, that'd be great if I could come out to the viewing. So I actually got to go face to face and weep with this guy over the loss of his cousin. And this is a, a guy that we play video games together, play video yeah. games together for a couple hours. And already I get to go and be salt and light in this guy's life and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice simply because of what started as an Internet relationship and turns into a face to face one. So we encourage churches to do that as well, to go. And to seek out the people that are in their community that are being that are not being reached, um, but then also even folks that are in their church that maybe feel like they're outcasts or ostracized because of who they are. And just like me, as I felt in seminary, um, that I really couldn't come out of the closet as a gamer uh, because of the stereotypes. We're really encouraging churches to make sure that they're not projecting a stereotype onto gamers and that they're opening and welcoming to gamers because gamers are actually incredibly diverse people. They have a lot of different gifts and talents and skill sets. And there's no reason for us as a body of Christ to be rejecting a whole group of people that our Lord and Savior died for. Hmm. Yeah, I, I found that it's been very damaging that the church has basically ignored gaming culture in general. And there's only a couple of ministries out there that have even bothered or, or are willing to consider it as a, a separate demographic unto itself. And that's been really problematic in terms of all the things we've been doing because I've gone to churches and I've listened to sermons and whenever video games come up, it feels like there's a cursory reluctance to even engage on the issue, even though it's everywhere. Gaming is everywhere and you can't escape it. And I think that we need ministries like this so that we can move forward with this sort of thing <laughs> instead of just sort of laying back in the past and not being able to go and minister to these people. Oh, absolutely. And, and like I said, I mean, if we're in a country of 315 million people and best-selling author, uh, New York Times bestseller Jane McCogniville, and her numbers indicate that there are 180 million gamers here in the United that's States, a, that's over half that's the country qualifies as a gamer. So if we're if we're as collective as a church um, pushing folks away who are gamers or in any way encouraging people to hide a part of their life because they don't feel like they can share that part of their life with the body of believers that is around them, there are tremendously dangerous things that can come from that. We're supposed to be the body and able to share with one another. And if we can't share about something that is a passion or that's a hobby um, – then really it, it really speaks to a lot of other things that we can't share with one another that are actually things to be ashamed of, that are sins that we can't share with one another and really engage and hold one another accountable to. Because if we can't share with one another that we play games, how are we supposed to share the toughest things that we go through, whether that's the death of a loved one, the death of a baby, an addiction that we're going through, a struggle that we're going through? We have to be able to break the ice and at least acknowledge that there are gamers in our congregation, and that's okay. Um, that God made us to work and to play, 
And those, those are okay distinctions in that we can do both of those things for God's glory and for his kingdom. And so as we do that, when we go to churches, one of the things that we do is we put on, um, we put on midweek events and then we also put on weekend conferences that we host um, other speakers to come at and we engage with and we do question and answers. And, um, but then afterwards, one of the great things that we get to do that's unique about our ministry, and I'm really excited and hopefully, you know, this is a great idea, I think, and I, I hope other missionaries take this and steal this as an idea because we've certainly stolen it from other people. Whatever is, well, you know, whatever is good, let's all steal it and use it for kingdom purposes. 180 million people are a lot of people, and one ministry alone can't reach that many people. So let's get lots of ministries started and stealing from all one another and talking together and working together. <laughs> so one of the things we get to do is we give churches a uh, pre-arrival packet. So that talks about a majority of the things that we're going to be talking about before we come and put on a midweek event or a weekend conference or speak during a, a worship service. And then we also give a post-arrival packet that gives um, kind of three separate sections in that post-arrival packet. And that's something that nobody else really does. Um, where we're going and we're giving folks packets. Again, we're not asking you for your money. We're coming and we're saying, hey, look, how can we help you reach people for Christ's kingdom? If that's what you're passionate about and you like who we are, then absolutely. We'd love for you to partner with us and help us keep going and keep doing what we're doing. But it is so different and so refreshing. And I hear this all the time from pastors. Um, when I'm talking with them on the phone or face to face and they say it is so refreshing to hear a missionary not coming and begging for money, but a missionary that's coming and saying, look, we want to help you. And that's really what we're all about is about leaving things behind and providing gospel resources for people. So then that way we can equip the church at large to be able to deal with gaming and recreation at large. So in that post packet, there's three things that are included in there. There are demographics that talk about the demographics that are leaving the church. The single biggest demographic that's leaving the church right now is the 18 to 29-year-old male. That is the single biggest demographic across broad evangelicalism here in America that is leaving. And then also the single biggest demographic that's coming into the church is the 25 to 40-year-old female. Hmm. Now, what's, what's fascinating about this from a gaming perspective is that the number one demographic, Zach, I don't know if you know this, can you tell me? Who do you think is the number one gaming demographic? I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> I would want to say it's 18 to 35-year-old males, but I'm sure I'm wrong on this. Absolutely, You absolutely are. It's a good guess. <laughs> That's the second largest demographic. The largest demographic of gamers here in America, again, this is where it's really tough for us to think about this because we've got so many stereotypes built into our brains and so many assumptions already built in about what a, what a lazy, lackadaisical – um, loser of a gamer is as he's sitting there on the couch with you know grease stained hands and an xbox <laughs> controller and maybe a couple of beer cans sprawled throughout the house but actually the number one gaming demographic is 25 to 40 year old women that is bizarre so whether it's candy crush to bejeweled to farmville women love to play games just like us guys do now the gaming subjects the gaming topics and the gaming genre is a little bit different but that doesn't mean there are any less gamers and so it's fascinating to go to churches, provide them with these demographics and say, look, this is the demographic, that, demographic that's leaving. This is the demographic that's coming. How is it that we can get talking and figure out, look, from a gaming perspective, these are lots of people playing lots of different games. How can we reach this demographic that's leaving? And how can we better reach this demographic that's already coming back? Beyond that, the second thing, so that's the first thing we give them is some demographic research. The second thing is that we give resources to churches. So whether that's books like Jane McCognigle's um, Reality is Broken or Tom Bissell's Extra Lives, or whether that's Philip Graham Ryken's Art for God's Sake, which is a fantastic book. Everybody that is in 
um, any sort of field needs to read Philip Graham Reichen. This is just a fantastic gospel-centered work. And it's called Art for God's Sake. And you can take this book. It's about 50 pages long. You can take this book. And whenever he uses the word art, you can insert whatever it is your hobby is. You can do that. You can read a, a section. And rather than just reading about how art is something that God has given us, how video games are something that God has given us, how playing sports is something that God has given us. And so we provide churches with resources like that, as well as Internet resources such as Covenant Eyes, which is an Internet accountability and filtering program. Um, that a lot of churches, I don't know if you know this, Zach, but a lot of churches don't actually have very much protection on their internet, which means that um, churches that host schools or churches that host events or just a church that has an office doesn't necessarily have protection for their pastor, for their secretary, or for their children when they're out surfing the internet. Wow. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, Zach, but the internet is a dangerous place. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that at all. Well, the internet, one of the one of the big analogies that we like to use here at Gospel and Gaming is that the internet is a lot like, and we've um, stolen this from other brothers that have given to given this to us, right? So every everyone here is partnering and stealing from one another, and that's a good thing. We're all stealing here for the gospel. And uh, this is a great analogy, and I encourage others to steal it. So feel free to steal this and use this, because it's <laughs> great. And I know it's great because I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't come up with it. So that's why I know it's great. Um, so the analogy is, is that the internet is a lot like learning how to drive. <laughs> And when you're learning how to drive, there are stop signs that you have to obey. There are yield signs you have to obey. There are rules of the road that you need to observe. And if you don't observe those rules, then you're going to end up having a bad time. Yes. There are certain places that when you're first learning to drive, you don't go. For instance, the first time you, you get behind a wheel, you're not necessarily going to go drive in downtown Chicago or downtown New York City. The first time you learn to drive, maybe you'll drive on um, on a rather deserted street with not much traffic. And there are probably parts of town that when you're driving, you just know, all right, I shouldn't stop here or I shouldn't stay here. Or I shouldn't linger here. There are some safe parts of town, some safe streets that you're on and some safe streets that you're that you choose to go through. And the Internet is the same way. And Covenant Eyes is a great way that provides some rules um, without being over hampering um, of where and what it is that you go. I know for me. One of the things that I hate about Internet accountability programs is that they'll interfere with my email or interfere with daily websites that are absolutely harmless and not dangerous at all. But the filter is set way too high, and so you can't stop it from blocking that. Well, Covenant Eyes is a great program that um, has got accessibility features to make it so that way you can access all of the websites that you need to access um, for all of your work purposes. And so we go around and we provide that. That's the second thing that we provide to churches is book resources, but then also internet resources. And then the third thing that we do is we have gospel actions for um, uh, for churches to take. And so we encourage churches, look, gaming all around you needs an event location. Everyone does. And this is the opening line that I give to pastors. And feel free to laugh, Zach, because it's funny and it makes it still makes me laugh. and I'm used to it. But imagine if the church, if the church was behind Pokemon. <laughs> Just imagine. I can imagine. What, I mean, what would Zach describe to me? Give me some, give me a couple of sentences. What do you think the church would be like if the church would have been behind Pokemon? We would be one of the most popular things on the planet. <laughs> and we'd, all, we'd also right? be supporting digital cockfighting. <laughs> I'm not sure which one right on. is good. <laughs> right on. 
But there are just so many opportunities where there was a whole generation of people that still play Pokemon, right? Pokemon is one of the best-selling video game franchises, and every time they come out with a new game, it still releases in the tens of millions of dollars. That imagine if the church would have said, rather than saying to folks that play Pokemon, all right, this is a demonic game. You guys need to go play it at the local game store. Imagine if the church would have said, look, we've got a gym. We've got a Sunday school classroom. We've got a sanctuary with movable chairs. Imagine what would have happened if the church would have said, you know what? You guys don't need to go elsewhere to play your game. You come play here. You learn that the church is a safe place to engage in gospel-centered action. And God loves and delights in some of the things that we choose to do with our recreational time, like playing Pokemon. That can be a really good thing. Now, absolutely, there's addiction and there's escapism and there are alternate things that we need to be worried about. But what would it look like if the church, rather than pushing people away, invited people in and said, look, come Come play at our church. There's a story um, that's shared with me um, by a good brother, Thomas Henshaw, who's very active and one of our um, wonderful contributors and writers on gospelgaming.org. It's fantastic. He's a fantastically gifted thinker and writer. And um, he tells a story of a church that he knows that they used to have a group of atheists that would come and would use the church basement to play some RPGs on Sunday afternoon. And they did this for um, a, a, a uh, segment of time, and one of the church members got wind of it, uh, had no conception of what the games were that they were playing, but just threw a tantrum about it and had them all kicked out. <laughs> oh, my. Now, those nine players, those nine atheists that already had hostile feelings towards God, already had disagreements with the divine, people who already, already had hesitations about religious folks, do you th think those people, after getting kicked out for enjoying their recreational hobby, do you think those people are going to be very receptive when a Christian enters their life and says, hey, I'm a Christian and I'd like to invite oh, you to I church? I doubt it. I doubt it, right? So what would happen if the church, rather than kicking these folks out, which is not what Jesus did. Jesus drove out tax collectors from the synagogue, the people asking for money, not the people playing games. He drove out not the people that were hurting. He drove out the people that were actually doing really, really well. The people that are hurting, he invited in. The people that were hurting, he went to. He ate with them. He hung out with them. One of the great things that we get to do is we get to go through the Gospels and uh, ask big questions of God's Word, like what, is, what does Jesus do that's gaming-related? And what is Jesus' method for reaching people? And, Zach, i got to confess to you, it is so darn frustrating to read through the Gospels, and this is what we get time after time. Whenever we're looking for Jesus' methodology for reaching unbelievers, this is his methodology. Jesus went, he ate, he drank, and he hung out. That's it. That's what we get. We don't hear that he brought with him a bunch of tracts, or maybe he dropped off a book. <laughs> or maybe he had you know, a couple of questions that were prepared on a handout. No, he went and he ate with people and he hung out. That's what he did. And there's actually tremendous freedom in that. Because that says, look, we can go and be with people, and as we're with people, things will happen. Just like that gentleman that was from Florida, the armed service personnel. That his cousin passed away, and he needed somebody to be with him to comfort him. And in that, I was able to pray with him, share the gospel with him, and build relationship with him, point him towards Christ in a winsome way. Rather than knocking on his door, or banging down his door, or beating him over the head with the Bible, I now have relationship with this person, and I can speak gospel truth into this person's life because we share a common interest in gaming. None of that would happen without the Internet. None of that would have happened if we would not have played a couple of video games together. It's a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous field where we're encouraging churches, look, host events, host an Xbox Halo night, 
host a Carcassonne board gaming tournament. Call up your local board gaming groups, and we do this. We get in touch with um, the local meetups and then a couple of the other local – there's local mom-and-pop shops that are around a church. And we contact them, and we say, hey, look, what are you, what's on your calendar events? What would happen if this church called you up and said, hey, we wanted to host a big thing and the church provides the food and you guys bring the games and the people? And then we've got an environment where Christians can come to an event, non-Christians can come to an event. And guess what? There's no pressure. There's no pressure to ask somebody if they're going to heaven or hell. There's no pressure. There's no agenda on a Bible study. So there's nothing that an unbeliever has to say. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I have to go and sit and listen to a gospel presentation just to play games? No. I don't want to do that. I'll stay home and play games. No. Come hang out. Do what Jesus did. Eat together, hang out together, and then see what happens. Our God is an amazing God, and see what happens when our God brings together amazing people. That is great. So I have a couple questions regarding your own theological inclinations as kind of a Uh-oh. subsidiary of this ministry. So how do your own theological inclinations determine the way you approach your video games in your leisure time? Oh, that's a great question. So um, this is a this is a question that there's there's like five questions that we get asked that are kind of you know the the handheld questions that everybody wants to know and one of them basically is okay so how much is too much <laughs> right like you're you're the video gaming missionary Jacob okay so does that mean that when we want to support you or we want to partner with you like all you're doing is you're sitting at home and playing video games <laughs> like is that what we're doing like the church is funding a guy to play video games is that what we're doing well fundamentally the answer is no that's not what we're doing. So um, one of the great things that that is just an irony, and this really is an irony, and I, I hope you can appreciate the irony, Zach. And um, I wish my wife was here to be able to to tell it from her from her perspective rather than mine. But uh, over the, over the last nine months since we've entered into this as a mission field, my gaming time has actually gone way down. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Believe it or not. Um, so running a ministry um, and doing all the various things that we do, which is provide support for unbelievers when they need it, um, all the way to contacting churches, providing materials. Um, hopefully at the end of three years, the goal is to have three books that will be ready to be published and put out, at least one of those at the end of three years. Um, lots of numerous different partnerships with parachurches and church organizations and with believers and unbelievers all across the board. Um, as well as starting up this esports organization, Good Guy Gaming, where we're actually reaching gamers and meeting them and their needs. Um, I like to tell folks right now, Zach, that I could hire two people if we had the funding, um, two people right now, just to be gaming pastors, just to meet the needs of all of the unbelievers that we deal with on a day-in, day-out basis. Because um, one person alone is not enough. And like I said, I'm not joking when I say that 180 million, that's a lot of people, and we need a lot of people to enter into this as a mission field. Because um, these people are looking for something. Gamers are looking for something. Unbelievers are looking for something. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. And they're looking for that in their life. And they're looking to make sense of it. And gamers are particularly aware and, and um, aware of what does a good story look like. And so it's actually incredibly awesome how Christ has given us an amazing story to tell um, with, with gamers. That God made this universe. That this universe is broken. And that that same God that made it came to save and redeem this universe, and he's coming back again to make it all well. Gamers know that sounds like an epic story. Gamers recognize an epic story when they hear one. They know what it looks like. And gamers know more than any other group in the world, you as a player need to participate in the epic story. Gamers know that. And so when we come and we get to share the gospel with gamers, 
it is a fantastic opportunity because gamers know, look, this story is junk. That sounds bogus. Gamers know that. We don't buy games that are junk. We don't buy stories that are junk. Gamers recognize good story when they see it. And so for gamers, um, for gamers that play games with good story, they recognize, they recognize a good story when they see it. So that's tremendously encouraging. Now, all that being said, meeting the needs of this community sometimes does mean playing games. So for us at Good Guy Gaming, there are 11 hours a week, um, 11 to 12 hours a week that I am online available to these guys um, through an in-game chat client in League of Legends. Uh, we've made it so that way, if you'd like to have um, basically a personal coffee shop time, if, so Zach, like for you, if you wanted to go and meet with your pastor, your pastor would probably say, okay, great, let's, let's catch some coffee at Starbucks. Well, rather than catching coffee at Starbucks, because that's just not um, available via the internet, what we do is we spend time and we book about an hour together to play a game and just hang out. And so folks can email and they can set up times where we can just hang out. We play a game for about an hour together. And this is what we're finding the more and more that we do um, internet missions is that about 80% of your conversation with somebody is fluff. It's, it's, um, it's small talk. It's about the game. It's about whatever's going on in the game. That's about 80% of your conversation. But then 20% of the time, people will lay on you things like, hey, my mom's had cancer. My parents are going through a divorce. Um, I'm just having a really tough day because my dad just got laid off. Or I'm just having a tough day because I just heard that I'm going to get laid off. Or things um, like, hey, my cousin is going through some rough stuff with his girlfriend. Or, hey, I'm going through some rough stuff with my girlfriend. So all of these different things were available there through the game. So all that being said, my gaming time, like I said, has gone way down because it's much more structured now. So when I'm playing a game, I'm intentional about when I'm playing a game and I need to be playing a game with one of our guys and using that as a ministry outreach rather than just sitting at a computer screen or at a television screen saying, all right, I'm going to go play Halo and I'm going to play Halo for Jesus. That's, that's, <laughs> that is something that we encourage people to do and we need hundreds of people to do that. But the difference between doing that and doing this is the difference in between saying someone um, is a Christian and reaching out to someone in their workplace environment and the difference between their pastor or a missionary. So there's a little bit of difference there, um, a little bit of nuance just in the call and in the way how we go about um, when we play games. All that being said, our rule for deciphering when is too much, um, you know, how much is too much, our general rule for that and having worked with um, drug addicts and alcohol recovering, um, recovering alcoholics here in St. Louis for the last three years, um, via the homeless shelter and recovery program um, through Sunshine Mission, uh, we've learned that addiction is best defined as that which inhibits or interferes with the rest of life. Um, that's an addiction. So when you're playing a game um, and it breaks the boundary of taking the throne of your heart, if we can use that language, it's taken the throne of your heart. So now playing this game or doing this activity is now more important to you than other things in your life. That's when you need to start questioning. And that's when you need to pull in brothers and sisters and say, okay, guys, I, I think I might have a problem here. Can you guys speak some wisdom to me? I, this is what I feel like. I feel like I need when I'm playing a game. This is why I'm playing a game. This is how long I'm playing a game. Time on task alone does not tell you whether or not you're addicted to something. Because if we just use time on task, then we're all addicted to our phones. We're all addicted to our screens because for a lot of us, our work has to take place in front of our computer screen. Um, but there's a good gospel oriented way of doing our work in front of our, our computer screen. So we certainly know how to differentiate between being addicted to a screen and knowing when it's work or when it's play. But the difference is, is that when we're working 
uh, we're workaholics when our work takes precedence and takes supremacy over other areas of our life, of our worship of, of our Lord and our King, and of even doing our work for our Lord and our King. And the same thing is true for our play, for our recreation, for our gaming. When our gaming takes precedence over the other aspects of our life, when we remove King Jesus from the throne of our hearts and we put our gaming time or our me time, me time as the term used by a lot of different folks um, for relaxation time. When we put me time above Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and we say, well, I'm, I'm going to take some me time right now. That's when we really we need to be really considering, all right, what am, what am I doing here? Am I playing this game because I love my Lord and my Savior and I'm glad to be playing it? I'm glad he equipped someone to be able to make this game that I can enjoy. And I'm so glad that God has made this world and this imaginative, creative person who has made this imaginative world that I'm enjoying. Or is it just, all right, I'm going to unplug my brain and go play some Halo and blow some people away. <laughs> huh. Now, in terms of how many games come out, right, you do have to kind of be familiar with a bunch of different genres to talk about oh, video absolutely. games, right? So for me, I like... Japanese role-playing games and character action games like God of War, Devil May Cry, that sort of thing. So I'm good at this genre, and you specialize in, it seems like MOBAs, if I was to guess. Yeah, anything that's esports. So call it... um, RTS. Um, Yeah, RTSs, a lot of MOBAs. There's um, uh, FPSs as well. But at the moment, none of our ministry teams or anything like that are involved with anything console-related. So that's where... um, (laughs) <laughs> that's where I, I don't even want to touch that because like I said I could already hire two people if we had the funds to be able to do it just to meet the needs of the community that we've already got so before we expand into consoles we really need to, to solidify some yeah. things consoles kind of hard too because of all those strange oppressive ways that they kind of limit your interaction with other people <laughs> right well that that can absolutely be true but like one of the things that we do um, in terms of limiting interaction is is that we're killing it um, we're killing internet anonymity like not only are we killing toxicity, one of the big things about toxicity is that if you're hiding behind your computer screen and nobody knows who you are, it's really easy to be Absolutely. toxic. Um, so uh, a fantastic article that was written, um, it was an opinion piece. Um, they, the, the person writing it basically summarized it by saying that, look, the people that are using curse words and acting like 12-year-olds <laughs> on Xbox Live or in gaming – they give gamers a bad reputation. They're not actually 12-year-olds. The problem is, is that they're mid-30s. They have professional jobs. They are the driving force in the economy right now. Um, but they come home and they want to act like jerks because internet anonymity allows them to. And so one of the things that we're doing from the very first night when you step in for tryouts for a G3 um, team is uh, I give out my personal Facebook information. I say, look, this is my name. My name's Jacob Toman. Um, you're here playing with me. My gamer tag is Iron Draconis, but I'm Jacob Tillman. That's who I am. Um, and we encourage people to share their face-to-face names because, look, the, the other person on the other side of the screen is a real person. They have real feelings. They're having a real day. They may be having a terrible day. You may be having a terrible day. And to treat one another with respect as we're playing and remember that there's another person on the other side of that microphone, there's another person on the other side of that screen is huge. So we start that process of tearing down Internet anonymity by giving one another our face-to-face names and using our face-to-face names when we chat. And then on top of that, When you've been in our organization for a month, you get my personal cell phone number. Um, So then that way you can always contact me, whether that's with a prayer request. We've got a guy right now that uh, his grandmother, thankfully, she's in stable condition, but we're offering up prayers right now for her and for his family right now as as hopefully uh, her time is not coming to a close, but hopefully um, a miracle will happen and and she'll be able to recover from this incident and come home out of the hospital. But um, that's something that would not be available. Again, that relationship would not be available in that 
it wouldn't be available without the cell phone and the cell phone number being available to guys. So I'm really excited and I want to enter into consoles. I know that they're a little bit different than um, computer gaming, but I want to enter in. But before we enter into that, there's just a lot of intentionality <laughs> that needs to be thought. But yeah, killing internet anonymity is the is the one of the primary ways that we reach people and build relationships with each other. And it's incredibly refreshing. You know, it's it's so much it's so much different than any other method because so much um, so many methods of Christian evangelism. Uh, and I'm going to use another analogy here, so just bear with me, Zach. <laughs> They're good analogies. Uh, Don't worry. So many folks just say, "Hey, Zach, I've got a bunch of dirty dishes in the kitchen, and I've got a uh, a dishwasher that needs to be emptied, and I've got an apple pie in the oven. How about if you just come into the kitchen? And that's what so much of our evangelism <laughs> is. Hey, how about if you just come get saved? Just you know what? The church is messy, but there's good stuff too, like eternal life. Like just just come on into the kitchen. Just come." Come get saved. Just just come on it. Just answer a couple questions. Just just come. Just come with me, right? And so what we're saying to folks, and what our ministry model is, is we're saying, okay, rather than saying come into the kitchen, like you as an unbeliever, you can smell that apple pie because you know Christian living when you see it. And as Christians, we live as salt and light in this world. And brother Zach, it smells good to unbelievers. And so unbelievers come to G3. Not because we've got a Bible verse plastered somewhere. You will never see a Bible verse plastered on the good guy game, ever. And that's intentional. It's because they smell that apple pie. And they know life is messy. They know there's dirty dishes in that kitchen. They know the dishwasher needs to be emptied and the garbage needs to be taken out. They know that. But rather than saying, hey, why don't you guys come into the kitchen? We as Christians, we're called to go. That's what our king did for us. He left the heavenly realms and he came down. He entered into our junk. He took on our junk, and then he said to us, come follow me. Come do as I do. And so we're supposed to enter in. We're supposed to go where there is junk. So rather than telling unbelievers, hey, come on into the kitchen. Yeah, we know it's messy, but there's apple pie, so just stay. What if we as Christians opened up the oven, and it smells good, and so people come near the kitchen, but they look in the kitchen, they see it's dirty. And what if we brought the apple pie outside of the kitchen and said, you know what? Come have some apple pie with me. Let's sit down at the dining room table. I'll deal with the kitchen later. We can deal with the kitchen later. Let's have some apple pie. Let's sit down and enjoy what this life looks like as Christians, because Christian living smells good. And when you bite into that apple pie, when you experience Christian living and not just inviting people to come get saved, come get saved, come get saved. When we invite people to the whole of life as gospel-centered people, not just gospel-centered compartments, but gospel-centered people, man, does it taste good. Man, does it feel good. Man, is it amazing that now I can go plug into my Xbox and play some Halo and just blow people away because that's awesome. That's incredible. It's epic. And I can do that. And my king and my Lord, my savior came, entered in, died, rose again, and is coming back. And I worship that king and he delights in my delight by playing some Xbox. That's awesome. Sign me up for that. That sounds like some good apple pie, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to invite people to come into the kitchen, but if you don't want to come, that's fine. Hmm. We're going to bring you some apple pie and let you see what Christian living looks like. And if you have some real apple pie along with it, all the better. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Any ministry event any ministry that event that has food at it will automatically get double the amount of people that we're already going to come. <laughs> free food. Good tip. Free though. food trumps Always all. bring free food. Okay, yeah. so... I think we could just about wrap this up, but I have one more question. What do you think about the idea of Christian video games? As in video games that are either developed by Christians or exist for the purpose of evangelizing. Yeah, I think, I think both of them are awesome. And I'll, um, 
I'll just speak really quickly on both. So first off, um, one of the, some of the work that we get to do is with private Christian schools, with private Christian curriculum, um, with um, folks that are looking to develop and give out some good gospel-centered resources to parents, to churches, to schools, and to teachers. And the sad reality is, is we don't have any awesome epic games to give people to teach them about Gideon. We don't have any awesome games to teach people about what it was like for the Israelites to go through the Exodus. We don't have any awesome games that teach people what it was like for Jacob and Esau to be at odds. We don't have any games that take people through the life of Joseph. Um, the games that are out there, let's just be honest about this, Zach. I think you know. The games that are out there are terrible. <laughs> yeah. That being said, I commend the brothers and sisters that have put their time, their effort, and their mental energy into doing that. And we need more of it. We need more of it. And we need it at a high, excellent quality. Because here is why. We serve and we worship the excellent king of the universe, the one who has made us, the one who has made the trees outside, the mountains of the hills, and our brains and us as people to be able to make the awesome computers and technology that we have around us. If we as Christians who worship that God cannot come out with high and excellent quality games, then unbelievers look at us and go, man, your God must not be that great because he can't teach people how to program that's a reality, all right? So we need great Christian games, both from a perspective of games that will be reaching people, reaching people to the lost, telling the story of the gospel, whether that's through um, allegorical tales or illustrations, whatever that wants to be. I know of a fantastic game that's coming out called The Etherlight. It's being put out by um, a fantastic group of brothers and sisters in New Zealand. It's coming out next year. It's going to be an awesome game. I'm looking forward to playing it. They're going to retell an, allegor an allegorical tale of the gospel um, and include you as a player in, um, in the resistance. And it's going to be an awesome game. I encourage you guys to go look it up. It's called Aether Light. And I'm really looking forward to that. But then I'm also looking forward to, in the future, to more games coming out, not just specifically that are Bible-based games. Um, we do need those. But then just awesome games that are made by Christians um, because there is no reason why Christians can't make awesome games. There really isn't. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> that was a rather exhaustive look at Gospel and Gaming and Jacob Tomand. I hope you enjoyed this interview, and I hope you enjoyed talking to me. But you most, yeah. Ah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time today, Zach. This has been a fantastic opportunity um, just to speak with you. It's encouraging to know that you're out there and that the ministry work that you're doing, um, it's just very encouraging to me because we need lots and lots of gospel missionaries and lots and lots of gospel thinkers. Um, for what's coming down the road. 180 million people is a lot of people to reach, and I'm so glad there are folks out there um, and sites out there like Theology Gaming that are trying to reach this very big number for a resource for the church and for the And I hope in the future we can connect a lot more people into this ministry. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Let's do it. Let's party. Yeah. All right. So thank you for listening to Theology Gaming Podcast. If you'd like to hear more from us, go to theologygaming.com. It's there. Go on iTunes and look at the Theology Gaming Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. It'll help us a lot. Thank you again, Jacob Toman. We can find you at gospelandgaming.org. Correct. Okay. And also at ggaming3.com. All right, and both of those. And, of course, he has a Facebook page, which he had already opened up to everyone. So you can message him through that if you want also. Feel free to hit me up on Facebook. Absolutely. This is what I'm here for. If you're a gamer, you've got an interest in the gospel or gaming. Hit me up. Let's get talking, and then let's get you roped in here for a podcast. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs>